What amazing words those. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my Saviour am happy and blessed. Is that the story of your life? Are you happy and blessed in your Saviour? The world will tell you differently. And we're going to be looking at that aspect today. What does the world say? What does God say about true happiness? So let's turn to God's Word this morning, the second part, as we look at Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 26. Luke chapter 6, verse 17 to 26. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples, and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. And they had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch Jesus, for power was coming from him and healing them all. must have been an amazing day. Verse 20, And turning his gaze toward his disciples, Jesus began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Then he said a strange thing. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. So, how can you experience life at its best? You see, the world tells you, you need to belong to a certain social network which shall remain nameless. If you aren't part of that social network, forget it. You can't be happy. If you can't dress in a specific way with a certain brand name, you can't be happy. If you don't drive a very specific car or range of cars, you will never be as happy as you could. If you haven't been on a specific course, you can't be happy. If you are not seen with very specific people, you can't be happy. Don't be seen dead with those people. Because you'll definitely not be happy. Try harder, says the world. Be assertive and you will be happy. So that's the world's message to us. And you're surrounded by it in the media. But our question this morning is, what does God say about true happiness? You see, there's a stark contrast to what the Lord says, to what the world says. And in his sermon that we are looking at, Jesus lays down the principles or the blueprint for living life at its best during all 
circumstances, whether they are hard or good times, you can be happy. Jesus teaches that the truly blessed life in any circumstances comes not from getting anything, it comes not from doing anything, but it comes from having a God-like character. And so if you want to be truly happy in life, you need to have a God-like character. And that means, firstly, you've got to be born again. Because if you're not born again, if you haven't had the character of God put inside of you, you cannot be happy. You might think you're happy, and you'll have all kinds of add-ons that you'll try and fill that God-shaped and God-sized hole in you, but you will never be truly happy. So you need to be born again. And so again, if there are any here this morning who still do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, here is the gospel coming out to you now. You need to come and bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to confess to him that without him you are a helpless and a lost and a dead sinner and you need to bow to him and allow him to give you new life. To put life where there is only death at this moment in you. And once he does that, you will experience life with new eyes. Completely new eyes. And hear me well, I'm not saying your life will suddenly turn all good. Because the Bible actually says the opposite. And we'll get to that. So you need to have a God-like character if you want to be happy in life. So what does a Christ-like attitude look like in all circumstances? The Apostle Paul kind of mentioned it a little bit later in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world. In other words, do not be shaped into the shape that this world wants you, but be transformed, be made completely new by the renewing of your mind. You see, the longer we live in this world, the more our minds are shaped to think like this world. And before you can know it, you'll catch yourself thinking like the world around you. And so we need to have a renewed mind, a Christ-like attitude if we are to be truly happy in this life. You see, this was an important lesson for these newly appointed apostles and Jesus' disciples to learn right early in the peace. It's a very, very important lesson for you and I to also learn as we live in the year 2013. So let's set the scene. We're stepping back a bit. We went over this last time when we uh, went through this passage, but I'll just recap to refresh your memories and mine. Jesus had come down from the mountain. What had he been doing up the mountain? He'd been praying because he had to appoint his apostles. And so he had come down the mountain. He had appointed his apostles and then he had walked further down the mountain to a flat place, a plateau on the mountain. And there the masses and the rest of his followers were waiting for him. And that's described in verses 17 to 19. And the amazing thing is that the Son of God, on this specific day, as he had been praying all night, was radiating power to people around him. And the people were actually being healed just from this radiating power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the sad thing is, they still didn't recognize him for who he really was, the Messiah. They were there for themselves. I want to be healed. He can do it. 
And he is a means to an end. There are many people who try and use Jesus in the same way today. They didn't recognize him. And I think it's sadly that Jesus, the, the phrase is he, he turned his gaze towards his disciples. Don't take those words too lightly. He saw the masses. He saw that they didn't even recognize him and he has power coming from him. And so he turns his gaze onto his disciples and he says to them, I want to teach you about true happiness. And I'm going to do it with a series of blessings and judgments. You see, these were declarations of God's favor. Blessing. You are blessed authoritatively if you have a certain attitude. And you were also judged with God's authority if you have a, another attitude. Why does Jesus use blessings and woes? Well, excuse the, excuse the illustration now, but it kind of illustrates it for me. I've got chooks, right? Chickens. Have you ever watched a chook when it sees a butterfly flying past or a moth? It'll kind of do this a few times and then it'll grab it. Now, a chook isn't just being a chook by dodging its head around before it grabs something. What it's actually doing is it's, a little, it's got a little computer and it's real small, but it's there. All right? It's a little computer making calculations. It makes a calculation, it's that distance, and then it dodges its head and makes another calculation and then it triangulates. It's actually quite clever for a chook. And it triangulates, and then it can nab the moth. Now, what does Jesus do here? Forget that illustration now, right? <laughs> what does Jesus do here? He gives us blessings and woes, you see. When we look at both, we get the true picture. We triangulate. So, what are these blessings and woes? We've looked at these previously. I'm not going to go over them in great detail you can go and get the um, sermon download on the internet. Blessed are you poor, he says in verse 20, for yours is the kingdom of God. So what does he mean by that? You see, there was going to be poverty amongst Jesus' disciples. Because following Jesus around meant that sometimes you didn't have food. So there was going to be hardship. But Jesus clarifies, he says, Blessed are you if you are poor for my sake. Not just if you are poor, there are some who say that. I think of those Ethiopian Christians that I meet who haven't got much, and yet they put everything on the line for Jesus Christ. They haven't got much, but they give Him everything they have, and they serve Him despite having nothing. They are poor for Jesus' sake. You see, being poor can be a blessing when it keeps our eyes on Jesus Christ and when it weans us from a dependence on our own resources and our own strength. When we realize that God is our Abba, our Father, then poverty is a good thing. But there's more to this um, first blessing than that. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, as we looked at last time, expands this. And he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are you if you have a low opinion of yourself when compared to God. When you are poor in yourself and rich towards God, then you are blessed. When you realize that you are nothing and God is everything. You see, the world would tell you the opposite. You are blessed, says Jesus, 
because yours is the kingdom of God. You might not have anything in this world, but yours is the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom of God. You are part of God's kingdom, says Jesus. And then the Apostle Paul later expands it and he says, you are co-inheritors of that kingdom with Jesus Christ. Isn't that fantastic? So your bank balance might be close on zero or deep in the minus, but if you have Jesus Christ and if you are submitted to him, then you are rich in the kingdom of God. That's encouragement for you and I. Because the world will tell you if you haven't got a plus balance and you ride certain things, then you're actually nothing. And then he brings in a woe to give us that other perspective. He says, woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your consolation in full. Verse 24. This has got nothing to do with rich or poor as in money. It's got nothing to do with it. Rich or poor is not the issue. What does matter is that your resources that you do have, that are God given to you, are recognized as coming from God by you. So do you recognize that what you have comes from the Lord anyway? It doesn't come from just your hard work and just your overtime. It comes from God. And that you use your resources for God's kingdom. And so this woe has two parts to it. Woe to those who trust in their riches instead of acknowledging the God who provides their riches. And secondly, woe to those who only use their riches, their God-given riches, for their own consolation and comfort. Woe to you if you don't also use it for extending God's kingdom. Now, that is where the renewal has to happen in our minds, you see. Because it's so easy to see what we've got in our bank balances, and you get your bonuses being paid out, if they still do those types of things, and you use them... You don't even think about, how can I use this resource for God's kingdom? You immediately think of me, myself, and I. How can I invest this in myself and my riches? You see, it's a mind shift that has to happen in us. It's contra-cultural. Jesus' disciples had to learn this lesson because they would shortly follow Jesus around and they would be tempted to go again after money and after things, when they were having a hard time following the Messiah around. When their stomachs were rumbling and they were wondering where they were going to get their next meal from. They needed to count the cost of following Jesus and so he teaches them. So are you rich in God this morning? Or are you just rich? Secondly, Jesus says to them, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be fully satisfied. Now, as the crowd listened to this, they must have wondered, what is he talking about? Blessed are those who hunger now, for they shall be truly satisfied. You see, these disciples were going to go through literal hunger. They were going to go through trying circumstances for the sake of Jesus Christ. And today people also go through trying circumstances for the sake of Jesus Christ. If you've read any of K.P. Yohanan's books on life in Muslim villages in India, if you're a Christian in a Muslim village in India, your resources are cut off because you do not follow Allah. 
There is a price to be paid for following Jesus Christ. And you might have experienced that in comfortable little Wanganui already. There is a price to pay. And sometimes for the sake of Christ, we go through trying circumstances. Matthew 5 verse 6 expands on this thought, because that's a parallel passage. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In other words, blessed are those who hunger and yearn for forgiveness of sin. Blessed are those who hunger and yearn for a peace of mind and heart which is real, for a purity and a holiness for fellowship with God. Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for those things. For you shall be filled. God will do this, you see. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, God himself will fill you with his own peace. His peace which surpasses all understanding. How do we know that? Well, he tells us in his word. John chapter 14 verse 27. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, says Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. There's the peace that Jesus Christ gives us. That's the reality. And then to add to that perspective, he gives another woe. Woe to those who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. And he uses a very definitive um, choice of words there. You shall be hungry. You might not believe it now, but you shall be hungry if you do not believe these words. You see, the world's attitude to life is this, and we spoke about it last time. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And so we're going to party up hard. And teenagers, if you've been to any of your functions, you'll know what I mean. The world parties up hard. They party up so hard they lie around in the streets, helpless, and police have to pick them up and take them home. Why do they do that? You see, they are chasing after now. They are chasing after today. There's no hope for tomorrow. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. You see, Jesus says here, unless you are converted... When you die, and you will die unless Jesus Christ comes first, you will wake up and you will be very hungry for the rest of eternity. Because your soul will be looking for God in hell, but he will not be found. You will be hungry. And he warns with an authoritative judgment, woe to you, be warned, listen to God's word today, if you are not a believer. But I think there's more there, you see. There's a word there for us as believers too. And this is it. You see, are us, do we as Christians, are we taking on the world's attitude? Are we taking on the same attitude of eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow you die? When you look at your spending habits and the way you spend your time and the way you put your energy into things, what are you putting your energy and your time and your efforts and your money into? Is it into the eating, drinking, and be marrying? Or is it into doing things for righteousness' sake? You see, we very t- quickly take on the water of the world, don't we? 
And then we try and run our race, but we've got all this water sloshing around in us of the world. And so I think this passage says to you and I that we need to allow the Holy Spirit to use his spiritual bilge pumps, excuse the expression now, but he needs to use his penetrating gaze on us through the Word to do surgery in us and cut out the world in us. Woe to you who are well fed now. Are we taking on the food of this world? And then we get to the two blesseds and woes, which we haven't covered yet. And it's this one in verse 21. Look in your text. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Now, I don't know what your life's like at this moment in time. You might be going through travails. You might be going through really, really hard times. Well, here's God's word to you if you belong to him this morning. Blessed are you who weep now. For you shall laugh. You see, the disciples and the apostles were literally going to be driven to tears as they followed Jesus Christ around. If you go and read through the book of Acts, you will see what some of these disciples, what some of these apostles went through for the sake of the gospel. Think of Paul. Paul tells us a little bit about what happens to him. He was flogged. He was taken to the point of death nearly. He had to escape over walls for his life. He went through extreme persecution for the sake of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure he wept to himself at times. There was a price to pay, you see. Blessed are you who weep now in this world, during this existence, this little span of time while you're living on this earth. Blessed are you if you have to go through a hard time for the sake of Jesus Christ. You see, we can take shortcuts and say, well, I'll, I might put this Christian stuff behind me and I might start just living in the world because it's a little bit easier to do that. But blessed are you if you weep now, says the Lord Jesus Christ, because one day you will laugh. There's more to this, you see. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse, 20, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, what was happening there? As Paul considered his state before God, his unholy state before a holy God, his keeping wanting to go back into sin when he really wanted to walk the walk. He breaks down and he says, O wretched man that I am, Lord, I know you can save me and you have. Look at the Apostle John. When he saw that vision of Jesus Christ seated on the throne, he fell down as though dead. You see, we also need to start weeping now, in this lifetime, over our own sin before a holy God. And if we don't, Jesus says, woe on you. We also need to look at God's standard of holiness given to us in His Word. And we need to ask God, Lord, am I living like this? And if not, can you help me to live like this? We need to weep over our sin. Jesus says if we do, we will laugh. And it's not going to be a light-hearted, giggling type of laugh one day when we're in heaven with Him. It's going to be a deep joy which only God can put inside of us and it's going to flow out of us. We are going to laugh. 
with pure joy of sins forgiven, of release from the troubles of this world when we are with Him in His kingdom. We've got a little while to live and then we will laugh with joy. You see, it helps us to persevere a little bit. Weep now, laugh later. For Jesus' sake, is what he says. And that's why James can say in James chapter 1 verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You can count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet those trials. And yes, there will be real pain. And if you're listening to what Christianity is like today and you're considering it, when you become a Christian, it's not all moonshine and roses. There will be real pain. There will be real tears. There will be real hardship. But is our God not bigger than all these things? Isn't He bigger than all? Isn't He almighty? Has He not promised that He Himself will be with us and He Himself will be inside of us during these times of anguish? Isaiah chapter 40 verse 10 says this, So do not fear, for I am with you. That's the almighty God of the universe saying that. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That upholding is when you know you cannot step another step in this life, then God takes you and He gives you the strength for one more step. And then He gives you the strength for another step. And you step out. And another step, and you step out. And when you look behind you again, you see you've been through the troubles. But God has been with you. You couldn't do it on your own. Weep now, he says, and you will laugh later if it is weeping on my behalf. And that is why we as Christians can be joyful. That is why we can be happy even during very dark times. Why? Because God is with us. Christ is in us. His gift of peace, which surpasses all understanding, overwhelms us. And if we would only remember these things. But we are so quick to forget. We see the waves, we see the winds, and we forget God's promises. He says, weep now, and you will laugh. I will do it. And then he gives us the other perspective. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn. And weep. What's he saying here? You see, Jesus is warning that those who fill their lives in silly merriment while they should be, while they are rejecting God and His Word and never weep about their sinful condition, they have God's judgment on them now. And not just now, forever. Those who fill their lives with silly merriment, thinking about themselves, those who don't mourn over their own condition before God, their tears will never be wiped away later. And you only have to look around your society today and you see so many lost people who think that this life is all there is. And so they live it. But not weeping over their own condition. You see, how can they weep? They can't weep. They don't know why they should weep. Because the gospel hasn't been brought to them by you and I. 
And so there's more weeping that has to be done. And this is a question to you and I this morning. Does your soul as a Christian still weep for the unbelievers that you see around you? When you see people around you and they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, does your soul still weep for them? Do you go across the road and take the gospel to them because your soul is still in travail about unbelievers? Or have we gone gone so blasé towards unbelievers that we see them, but it doesn't affect us anymore? We're taking on the water of the world. Are you still weeping over unbelievers? Your family members that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, do you weep over them? Do you remember them in prayer before the Lord? Or have you kind of written them off? They go past you. As a Christian, there's some other weeping we can do. Do you still weep over your own condition before God? Or have you started with your time, your energy, and your activities doing some laughing now already in this world? Because all your activities are starting to be centered around me. Are you laughing now? And that doesn't mean you've got to go around dressed in black with a white tie or whatever you want to wear. That doesn't mean that's got to be our attitude, long face. They used to say that in the old days. If you're a real Christian, look sad, wear black. Well, some people still go around like that. God says, no, you can be joyous in the middle of this darkness. You can be a light of laughter. But you've got to do some weeping then of your own condition. You've got to realize that God is a holy God and you are a weak, unbelieving person when it comes to comparing yourself with Jesus Christ. And only He can do the real work in you that can make unbelievers see Christ in you. So laugh, but weep. And then lastly, verse 22 and 23, and this is the one that really would have made people sit up and listen. Especially the disciples. And we need to sit up and listen to this one too, because this last point we're going to look at is the one where I think most of us would be tempted to go astray today. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they heap insults upon you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for great indeed is your reward in heaven, for in just the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. I always used to think this would be a real reality ad for Christianity. It would go like this. Blessed are you when men hate you when you become a believer. Blessed are you when they exclude you when you become a believer. And when they heap insults on you and spurn your name as evil when you become a believer for the sake of Jesus Christ. How many people have become Christians? Not many. You see, but that's the reality of what happens when we really start following the Lord. Let me explain. You see, in the Old Testament, and that's what Jesus is referring to, the people used to either publicly reject and belittle the prophets that sent to them by God to warn them about their walks before Him. Or they used to listen to the prophets for a short while and then kind of turn back on their old ways again. How did they treat the Old Testament prophets? Elijah, 
You know, Elijah had to flee for his life because they were out for his blood. This was the prophet of God. Elisha, he was jeered at by the young men. Jeremiah, Jeremiah was imprisoned and there was plots to kill him. They wanted to put him in the stocks, literally. Or the people used to listen to these prophets for a short while and then turn their backs. And the people in the crowd that Jesus was speaking to well knew their Old Testament history. They knew what they were like as a people. And so Jesus says, you are blessed if people treat you in this way for my sake because they did the very same thing to the Old Testament prophets. And the disciples and the apostles would soon discover that when you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not the flavor of the month. You might have discovered that in your life. Jesus says, said to his disciples a little later, Blessed are you when men hate you, exclude you and insult you for my sake. What does he mean by that? He, he said to them in John 15, a little later, If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. You see, it's not you they hate. It's the Christ in you they hate. It's not your message they hate. It's the message of Christ that you bring to them that they hate. You are the messenger. And that is why you get hated. People do not want to hear. And we need to clarify here. We're not speaking about those times when people hate us or come up in opposition against us because we have made a mistake, because we've been stupid, because we've been sinful. Those are consequences of our own making and you must just bear them. He's speaking about when people hate us, push us aside, because we have been proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been trying to live out a Christ-filled message, a Christ lifestyle, and people say, I don't want that. Get out of my face. That's what he's talking about. For the sake of Jesus Christ, you see. And so, teenagers, I really want to speak to you urgently this morning. Listen to me. If you're a university student, listen to me. If you've been pushed aside and you've lost friends because of your stand for Jesus Christ, because they know you're a Christian, and because they laugh at your message, take courage this morning. You're on the right track. Don't take the other route where you soften your message, where you don't speak out about the Lord Jesus Christ because you want to be more popular. I want to ask you this morning, have you taken a stand? If you're working with colleagues here at work today, I want to ask you too, have you taken a stand publicly for Jesus Christ? Do you fly the flag of King Jesus in your life visibly so that others can see it? Or do you kind of keep it unfurled stuck down a trouser pocket or behind your back and you kind of only wave it when you need to and put it back again. Is that the way you proclaim Jesus Christ in your life? Or do you boldly fly the flag of Jesus Christ? Are you not scared to be a believer amongst unbelievers? Those are the ones Jesus is saying, you will be blessed if that's the way you live before me. And yes, you will lose friends. And yes, your family will not want to spend time with you. But you will be blessed with eternal blessings. And in the end, you will leap for joy. Believe it or not, you will leap. And you will not be able to restrain yourself with joy. That's what we look forward to, you see. 
Or maybe you find it a little easier to merge with your surroundings like a camouflaged moth. You don't openly take a stand. Your friends might not even know that you're a Christian. And even if they do, they look at your lifestyle and your lifestyle is so full of shortcuts that they think, is that a Christian? You see, you might be the only picture of Jesus Christ that your unbelieving friends see. Are you flying the flag for Jesus? What are they seeing in you and I? What is that picture of Christianity that our lives show to our friends, to our family? And so Jesus pronounces a very timely woe for our times today, doesn't he? Look at verse 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for in just the same way their fathers used to treat the false prophets. So does that mean, Calvin, that um, when I'm a Christian, everyone must hate me? Everyone must push me aside. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's just great. I'm really going to enjoy life now. No. You see, when we live a godly life before the world, there is to be good that we do. And people must see the good that we do. And they must speak well of us in the community for the good lives that we as Christians live in the community. They must see it. Yes, we must be light in the darkness. But when we change our message, when we compromise our stand for Jesus Christ, so that we will not offend those we socialize with, so that we will not offend those we work with and live with, then Christ says to you and I this morning, woe to you. Judgment will be on you. Don't weaken your stand so that you will be more popular. You see, that's exactly what Israel did to the false prophets that Jesus now speaks about. He says that's exactly what they did. The people rather believed the false prophets in the Old Testament they rather believed the false prophets than God's true message through his true prophets. How did they, what was their reaction to the false prophets? Well, they rewarded the false prophets in the Old Testament. They followed them around. They welcomed the false prophets into their midst. They didn't push them aside. But these false prophets were leading the people to destruction. Why did the people listen to the false prophets' message? Because the false prophet's message didn't demand change. The false prophet's message was not as hard as what the real prophets were saying to them. And so the people thought, well, that's easier. I'll just go that way. I'll support that one. You see, there are so many, and I'm speaking to my fellow clergy, there are so many pastors today who stand in front of churches and bring motivational messages which tickle people's ears. There are many of them. You just turn on your television channel. And have a look. Second Timothy 4, verses 3 to 4, warns us against such as those. And all the pastor's doing is lining his own pocket and getting people to look up to him or her and getting lots of likes on Facebook. Millions and millions of them. But they are leading people to destruction. Jesus says, woe to you. And as adults and teenagers, you might be extremely popular among your colleagues, your friends and your mates, men. 
And you don't want to risk that popularity by standing up when it's called for. You don't want to exclude yourself when activities start getting dubious. You may even not want to risk being the only one who stands out. I'm thinking of those parties, those social functions, even those corporate motivational weekends. I've been part of them. I know what happens. Do you stand up for Jesus Christ there? Because if you don't, he says to you, woe to you. You see, to summarize, Jesus says this, and if this is all you hear this morning, then please listen up. Stand up for me, says Jesus Christ. If you don't stand up for me, who are you standing up for? Ask yourself that. If I'm not standing up for Jesus Christ, there's only one alternative. Who are you standing up for? You see, there's a bigger and more eternal picture. Remember those chooks? They get the real picture. Here's the real picture. There's an eternal picture ahead of us. There's an eternity ahead of us. But that means we've got to live in this way that Jesus Christ points us to here. Go in this week again and look through these blessings and woes and ask yourself, do I see any of these signs in me? And if you do, ask the Lord to do a great work in you. And then He will start to use you as you start living a life of obedience to Him. And you will find that you are truly happy, even in dire circumstances, because you are being obedient to the King who has put you here. Live obedient lives at all costs, and you will find your real treasure. You will be happy. And so I want to end this morning with these promises. These are the promises to you as believers today. Take them to hearts. Be encouraged by them. This is what they are. Blessed are the poor in spirit, that is, poor to self, rich in Christ. For yours is the kingdom of God. Here's a promise to you. Here's another one. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That means for eternal values. That means for eternal standards and godly characteristics in your life. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. It might not happen in this lifetime, but you will be satisfied. God says so. Can God do it? Yes, He can. He can do it. You will be satisfied. Third week. Blessed are you who weep now over sin and the lost, for you will laugh with joy. It will come. But a little lifetime and then eternity with Him. You will laugh. You will be joyful. And lastly, blessed are you who are hated, here's the key, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Your reward is great in heaven. And so you might not be popular in this life, but God will love you forever. Which one would you rather have? The love of God forever? Or man's adoration for a little time. We've got to look at these things. We've got to be serious about these things. And then we will be truly blessed. God's kingdom is contra culture. It goes against the way the world says we must live. 
Are you starting to live God's way or the world's way? I pray that you will allow the Holy Spirit to show you this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, not just with his life for us, but also with his wisdom that he left us on how we are to live our lives and how he will help us to live our lives so that you will be glorified in the end. And Lord, I pray for us as a church here, there are some here going through extremely hard times. Lord, I pray that you will keep us close to your word, keep us close to the truth from your word, so that even in our hardship, you will be glorified and we will experience the blessing that only you can give. Keep us faithful to Jesus Christ, I pray. And may the world see you in us as we live these lives. Just a short while and then you will take us and we will be with you forever. Keep us faithful, we pray. Amen.